This is Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary roughness. roughness. I think this, that somewhere within the first five to ten plays of the game, the other team's quarterback must go down. And he must go down hard. It's unnecessary roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Big hole. First down. End zone. Touchdown. Touchdown Raiders. Would you believe it? This is unnecessary roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy, Q. And here we are. Take two. We're going to get it going. Unnecessary roughness live in your ear hole. Raider Nation Radio 920. We are live at the Oyo Hotel and Casino, the Underground Lounge. This has been our residence. This has been our spot. This has been my Monday night get down for the entire NFL season. And it does not stop today because there is football action on tonight. Monday night football playoff style super wild card weekend continues and it gets wrapped up this evening with the rams and the cardinals and we are here at the underground lounge to check it all out so uh, we definitely enjoy uh, being here and hanging out and my man mark has already stopped by he's at the bar getting a couple beverages playing a couple games preparing himself for the game so uh, we encourage you to come on by hang out with us we're going to have a good time for the next few hours and of course there's a lot to talk about as the silver and black the raiders your las vegas raiders fall to the Cincinnati Bengals on Saturday. Their season officially comes to an end. And, of course, once the season comes to an end for one team, you know there's a lot of speculation, especially with the situation that the Raiders are under, knowing that they played under an interim head coach in different circumstances than any other team had to deal with this year or any year I can remember in a very, very long time. Still did a hell of a job, in my opinion. 10-7, and seven, really good season. Way to end the season strong, four wins in a row to make themselves available to get to the playoffs and just came up a little bit short in Cincinnati on Saturday. So, of course, we'll talk all about that coming up on today's show. Have a lot of good guests to get to on today's show. Earlier this afternoon, interim head coach Rich Basaccia met with the media for the final time this season uh, until the next time. You know, if there's a next time with him or if there's a next time with some other coach. But no matter who the coach was and if this is a full-time job or not, this would be basically the exit media session for the head coach and so rich met with the earlier and you could tell that it was the final one uh you know for this season because there were so many of us on that call there was about 23 to 24 of us on the zoom call which normally on a monday following the game there's probably like eight or nine max you know and so you could tell that today obviously meant a lot more and so uh, there was a really good stuff uh, that Rich had to say, and so we'll get to some of those sound bites coming up in just a few minutes. My man Demon Cotton is back in the home studio making everything work. Does a fantastic job. We always appreciate his efforts. I uh, want to shout out to everyone in uh, Raider Nation that made their way out to the M Resort on Saturday for the game. Really good showing from the pregame, pregame show to the pregame to the game to the postgame. I mean, it was a star-studded affair as far as folks that were out there. Uh, James Harris, former Raider, was out there. Bruce Gratkowski was out there. And, of course, Raider Nation was representing in a major way. Uh, Rod Martin was out there. Definitely appreciate everyone who came by and hung out with us throughout the course of the day on Saturday. It was a long day, right? It started early, and it ended late, but it was a lot of fun. And like I said, I, I wanted to start off the show and make sure I thank everybody who came out and supported not only myself, JT, DeMond, but uh, Raider Nation Radio 920 as well so coming up on the show today as i said we got a lot of good guests to get to i'm very excited about coming up at 2 30 my brother from another mother mo moten from bleacher report he's also co-host of silver and black tonight uh with scott goldbranson who used to be rocking on these very airwaves here on red nation radio 920 uh mo is going to come up at 2 30 and he has a lot of thoughts on the team kind of wrapping up putting a bow on the 2021 season 
for the silver and black, what he liked, what he didn't like, where he thinks there needs to be improvements, what he learned about the team. That'll come up at 2.30. We'll talk to him. At 3 o'clock, our good buddy Ed Graney from ESPN Las Vegas and the Review Journal. He's always our Monday guest around 3 o'clock. He'll join us to talk about that final game, being there in Cincinnati, what he saw from the team, where they missed out, what they could have done better to come away with the victory. And, of course, it's not just going to be up to Mo Moten and Ed and all our guests on the show today to say what, what went wrong in Cincinnati. We'll talk about that as well. Of course, I want to hear from you throughout the course of the show, Raider Nation. You know the number, 702-365-9200, and the Salmon Ash text line is 69187, keyword R&R. So Ed Graney comes up at 3 o'clock. Then at 3.30, Faven K from Fox 5 Vegas in the morning. She'll join the show as a fan, as someone who's here in the Las Vegas area, just to talk about what this season has meant to her. What, as a fan, sitting in the stands each and every game there at Allegiant Stadium, what it's meant? How she's seen this Las Vegas area grow with the team, how the team has grown with the area. So she'll join us at 3.30 to talk about that. And then at 4 o'clock, Vinny Bonsignor from the Las Vegas Review-Journal, who normally does uh, In the Huddle 4 to 6 p.m. We're not going to have In the Huddle today because there is Monday Night Football, and you're going to actually be able to hear that game right here on Raider Nation Radio 920, the Rams and the Cardinals. So we're going to do unnecessary roughness. We're going to go three hours long, three hours strong, 2 to 5 p.m., and Vinny will join us at 4 as a guy that was at the game and a guy that can tell us a little bit of insights on what he's hearing, what he's feeling, what the offseason may look like because, Raider Nation, I know that the season is over and there's not football to actually talk about, but this offseason will not be boring. There's a whole lot to get to as far as the Raiders are concerned. There's a lot of questions that need to be answered as far as the Raiders get concerned. And I'll tell you right now, just gut feeling, that's all I ever roll with. I think that a lot of the questions will be answered sooner rather than later. So I tell you, Raider Nation, Buckle up. So that's the guest lineup that we have. Mo Moten at 2.30, Ed Graney at 3, Faven K at 3.30, and Vinny Bonsignor closes us out at 4 o'clock, and then we're going to go strong all the way till 5 o'clock on today's show. Again, we're here at the Oyo, the Underground Lounge, the uh, hotel and casino. Man, we're going to be here for Monday Night Football, and there's a lot to get to. Please believe that. Uh, we're going to jump into the opening drive in a hot second. I did want to pass this along real quick from Adam Schefter. He just tweeted out, uh, as everyone wants to know what's going to go on with the head coaching position, what's going to go on with the GM position. He tweeted out the Raiders still have head coach Rich Basaccia and GM Mike Mayock in place, but it has not stopped Las Vegas from the Raiders requested permission to interview Patriots inside linebacker coach Gerard Mayo for his, their head coaching position and Patriots director of player personnel Dave Ziegler for their GM job per source. That's according to Adam Schefter. Then Ian Rappaport doubled down with that same information and then added one to the, to the list. The Raiders have put in a request to interview Patriots defensive end Gerard Mayo. Uh, their search begins and they're also going to put in a request for Colts executive Ed Dodds as well. So there you go. Those are some names that you can kind of tie in with the Raiders right now. Again, all this is according to Schefter and Ian Rappaport. This is nothing that I'm hearing from inside the building or any of that. Uh, I'm not going to ever try to play that role that that's not who we are around here. We just we just deliver you what is being said, what is being uh, told, and what we believe are facts. And so uh, Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport are talking about that as far as the Raiders are concerned. So now that we got that out of the way, let's go ahead and jump into the opening drive. The opening drive of Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920 is brought to you by Southern Nevada Chevy Dealers, home of the Chevy Silverado, the strongest, most advanced Silverado ever. You 
done. Today for the opening drive, I really wanted to show some love to Rich Bisaccia for the job that he's been able to do. I mentioned earlier that we met with, the, with him, the media met with him by way of Zoom about 1 o'clock. Probably was about a 15-minute media session. I know that uh, JT the Brick played a little bit of, uh, of it as well on his show prior to Unnecessary Roughness. But I just had a couple sound bites that I wanted to get to that Rich Bisaccia had to say and, and, and also wanted to talk about the, the coach. And then I'll throw out a topic there that you can respond to, Raider Nation, at 702-365-9200 in the Salmon Ash text line 69187. The first one, Rich Bisaccia came in, and he always did this throughout the course of the year. Had an opening statement. Always had something that he had kind of prepared for the media. This was Rich Bisaccia's opening statement. Uh, afternoon, everybody. Um, start out with a few words here, and then we'll, we'll get into the questions. Uh, first of all, I'd like to thank certainly our players for their constant and consistent work and relentless effort to improve every day. That's all we really ask of them. They succeeded in that. Also, I'd like to thank the coaching staff for never blinking and for always putting the man first and then coaching the player second. Um, also, I'd love to give a shout-out to Raider Nation uh, for their loud and never-ending support for our team. They heard you, and uh, they just they heard you, and you need to understand that. Um, to have fans in Legion Stadium for the first time this season was an incredible experience, and in the future, I think this team will take great pride in playing at home and making an advantage to them. To play the Chargers with a blackout crowd was energizing for our players in that game, and I think it showed, again, all the way to the end. Um, I'd like to finish by um, also thanking Mark Davis, uh, Mike Mayock, and the entire Raider organization for their on-time support throughout the entire season. It was much appreciated. No one ever wavered. Uh, I believe it's a privilege um, to coach and play for the Las Vegas Raiders and in the National Football League. And with that, I'll um, take any questions you may have. So there was Rich Bisaccia, just his opening statement right there, just kind of going through the, you know, the course of the year. And I, I love how he addressed Raider Nation and thanked them for their unwavering support and the way that they really were at Allegiant Stadium. And I've said it many times, but sometimes it's, it's great to hear it from someone else, someone who is uh, directly affected by it. And obviously the team, the players, and the coaching staff was directly affected by the, the effect that the Raider Nation had at Allegiant Stadium and how it was so loud and, uh, like you said, going up against the Chargers on Sunday night football, having a blacked-out situation. And, look, nobody knows what's going to happen. You know, nobody knows what's going to happen. The only people that know what's going to happen are inside the building there in uh, the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center moving forward. And you know what? There's probably only a handful of guys that know what's going to happen there, and we're not one of them. You know, so uh, Rich Bisaccia, again, that was his uh, opening statement. He is preparing as he is the, the head coach, and, you know, we'll just have to see what happens. Now, there was something that happened on social media the other day that I saw, and I believe it came out either Saturday or Sunday, and this had to do with Rich Versace in his hotel room, and he was writing handwritten letters to the team. And so I found it interesting because everyone's saying, man, like, look at this guy. What a, what a great coach he is. He's in his hotel room writing handwritten letters. But then it was on social media. And so I kept wondering. My biggest question was, okay, he's in his hotel room writing these letters, and that's fine. That's great. I, I, I like that. But how in the hell is it, getting, is it being taken a picture of and sent out on Twitter? Like, how did it get from point A to point B was my biggest question. And I didn't want to ask it because I just, you know, I know that there's more important things to talk about than just these handwritten letters. But I'm glad somebody did. <laughs> somebody in the media session, matter of fact, Hondo Carpenter, he asked them about it just because it was, you know, it was kind of a cool thing to see. But at the same time, it was kind of strange that we were actually seeing it. 
And, and that was going to be one of my biggest questions coming into today's show was, you know, how did this, how did this even get out there? So here's Rich Basaccia talking about the handwritten letters, the story behind that. First of all, the, the handwritten letters, the, the way that got out is, you know, my daughter and I were um, in the hotel room. It was really early in the morning, and, and um, I was in the process of finishing up some of the letters that I had started during the course of the week. And, and uh, um, she thought that obviously was a pretty neat deal, and, and she put it on her personal Facebook, and, and um, you know, which we had a conversation about after. And uh, somehow it gets carried to someone, and someone carries it to someone else. And next thing you know, now we're, we're having a conversation about it. So um, it's my oldest daughter. I, I love her dearly. She is a teacher. She's been a coach. Um, and I would rather have not, not that gotten put out that way, but um, it did. And, and yes, it's something I've done. You can go all the way back to my college days. Um, I've written different things, put it in guys' lockers, or um, maybe it goes all the way back to my recruiting type deal. So that was just a... Um, I usually text players a lot during the course of the week, different things. Um, and uh, so this is just an opportunity for me to hit all the, the players that particularly dressed in that game that um, where I didn't have to text every one of them individually. So I just went back to, to writing some letters throughout the week, finishing them up that morning, and that, that's how that, um, that picture got out there. And, and uh, so that was my, my daughter's sentiment of uh, how proud she was of her dad. And I'll take that every day, you know, to know that your kids feel that way about you. So that was cool. So that actually gave me a little bit better feeling about it. I mean, it made a lot of sense. I was like, okay, somebody had to be really close to him to be able to take that picture and, and put it out there. And so the explanation made so much sense afterwards that his daughter put it on her personal Facebook. And just that quickly, it went from her personal Facebook to Twitter to everywhere. And now, like he said, we're talking about it. And that was just something that he was working on on his own. And it's so funny, as I was hearing his explanation uh, behind that, all I could think about is my mom. And my mom always says stuff like, don't be taking no pictures in my house and be putting no things out on Twitter. I don't need everyone knowing what's going on or, you know, stuff like that. And I totally get it. Like, it totally makes makes all the sense in the world. And that that conversation was exactly what was going through my mind as I was uh, as I was wondering about this thing, this play, you know, him taking these or doing these uh, these letters that were happening in his private hotel room. I kept thinking, like, how in the hell did this get out there like that? Like, we probably shouldn't be knowing about this. But I, I like the explanation behind it, and, and good to hear that he was a good sport about it. But you did hear him say that we had a conversation about it, that me and my daughter love her to death, but we had a conversation about it. So uh, clearly there was, you know, something there, and he obviously didn't want that. And he's one of those guys anyway that never wants it to be about him. Uh, he never wants it to be about him. That's just something that he's uh, very focused in on. So the final soundbite that I want you to hear from head coach Rich Masaccia, and again, it was a good, you know, 15-minute a media session he had earlier today is just about the head coach hiring process. Of course, that's one of the biggest dominoes to fall. If it's going to fall, what's going to happen? So Vinny Bonsignor, who does In the Huddle from 4 to 6 p.m. right here on Radio Nation Radio 920, asked him about that process and, and how long does he think it's going to take before he knows what's going to happen? Um, Mark and I have, have had some conversations. Uh, there's due process. He has to interview um, some other candidates, as I, I, I well know. Um, I'm very respectful of the process, um, what it's supposed to look like and how it's supposed to work. And uh, I think we'll be in con constant conversation, and we'll certainly talk again before the week is over. So there you go, short and sweet, and really there's nothing else he could say. And that was before we got the news from Shefty, and that was before we got the news from Ian Rappaport. And, again, you're going to continue to hear some. You're going to see stuff on Twitter. You're going to see stuff on social media. You're going to hear things. Some are going to be false. Some things are going to be true. You know, you just have to go by who you trust. Like, 
Vinny. I know Vinny is, is going to always report good quality stuff. Vic Tafer, always going to report good quality stuff. Tashawn, uh, Paul Gutierrez, you know, all, all these guys, they're always going to report good quality stuff. So that's always someone that you can go to. Uh, John McClain, who joins us on Tuesday, he always says, hey, it's the best to go to the local guys as opposed to the national guys because the local guys really have a better feel than the national guys. But you know the Shefties and the Ian Rappaports, they're usually pretty spot on with their information as well. So uh, we're not going to dwell on a lot of things. We're not going to speculate on a lot of things because I don't like a, a lot of speculation. That's just not how I roll. Plus, I want to show some respect to those in the in the building right now that's still kind of sitting around wondering what they're going to be doing next. Uh, Rich Basaccia did tell us that all the coaches will be off as of, I believe he said Thursday, they'll go on a two-week vacation, uh, you know, just to kind of decompress and, and get, get their minds right after a long emotional season that they all did a really good job keeping this team together and uh you know so we'll we'll, we'll continue to hear names rolling out and 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 see what happens but uh, as we hear information well, of course we'll bring it to you because that's what we do so with that being said i wanted to jump into the show question i had a couple of them prepared for you now that the season is officially over raiders aren't playing any more games they end up 10 and 7 in a playoff berth what are your thoughts on what the raiders did when you think about it and sit back and really have an opportunity to reflect. I mean, we've been doing that the past couple of weeks, just kind of reflecting on, hey, man, what, what this thing has felt like, what it has looked like. But now that it is officially a done deal and the rest of the way, we're going to be watching playoff games from other teams. We're going to be watching the Super Bowl. We're going to be watching how free agency goes, how the draft goes. I mean, it's, it's done so from here. What are your thoughts on what the Raiders were able to achieve through everything this season? That's the first question I want to ask. And then – and I only want one answer to this question. I know it's hard because someone's going to say, well, on offense it's this, and on defense it's this, and as far as coaches it's this. But it's just one answer. If you had to pick an MVP for the Raiders this season, I don't care if you pick a coach. I don't care if you pick someone on defense. I don't care if you pick someone on offense. Who would your Raiders MVP be for this season? Those are the two questions that I want to hear from you, 702-365-9200, and also the Salmon Ash text line, 69187, keyword R&R. Allen in Vegas hit us up and says, hey, Q, do the Raiders still need to interview a minority for a head coach even though they have an interim head coach? Is Bisaccia considered a minority? Yes, they have to interview a minority for the Rooney rule. Uh, that's a rule that I can't stand uh, because I don't think that you should have to force anyone to interview someone just to check a box. Uh, I just don't think that it's always – I think a lot of teams – do it just to check the box. I don't think they do it with genuine intentions. Now, I'm not saying that about the Raiders. I'm just saying that in general. The Raiders have always been in the forefront of hiring or, or interviewing and hiring coaches because they feel like they're qualified or front office people or stuff like that. that that's what they do. They haven't needed a rule. And by the way, it shouldn't be the Rooney rule. It should be the Al Davis rule if it's going to be a rule. Just my personal feelings. But as a man of color, and this is Martin Luther King Day, so let's not forget that. As many of you may be off work today, many of you may be uh, at work today. Either way, it's all good. Enjoy your day. Just let's all remember and reflect on uh, the teachings of Dr. Martin Luther King. But as a man of color, I never wanted to be that guy. I never wanted to be the guy that got interviewed just because I'm black. And, well, he's, he's got to – and I'm not saying I have been. I'm just saying I wouldn't want to be that guy. I wouldn't want to be the guy that's like, okay, hey, we need to interview a man of color. Where's Q? Or in the NFL's, uh, you know, in their circles, where's Mike Singletary? Where's T. Martin? Where's insert any guy that's been interviewed a million times that you really didn't feel like ever had an opportunity? So, yeah, they have to fulfill the Rooney rule, but the Raiders are the one team throughout the course of the league that I never worry about when it comes to 
minorities, when it comes to females, when it comes to any type of situation, the Raiders are, are out front of all that. But, yeah, they have to, they have to uh, apply to that. Also, we got a text from uh, Raider Richie from Arizona. We need continuity. What if Mayo doesn't cut the mustard? <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. Don't want to find out. Let's keep rich. Great season and go Raiders. Uh, got another one from uh, Raider Jay from Sacramento. What up, Q? What up, Damon? I can't be any more proud of this team after all the adversity this team went through this season. I'm glad they got a taste of what the playoffs uh, will be and will be hungry going forward. I'm also appreciative of this radio station. Good luck to your Titans, Damon. <laughs> Rest from Raider Jay in Sacramento. And with thank that, you, thank you. Let me bring in Damon, who's in the home studio, and when he's in the home studio, doesn't usually get as much uh, action as, as he does when we're in, in the studio together. So, Damon, you were with me at the M Resort, and you saw how the game shook out. You were on the, play, uh, on the pregame show. Uh, we had a really good time on Saturday. Uh, what were your thoughts when you, saw, when you saw the game, you saw how it played out, and when you started to reflect on the season that was? Well, immediately after the game, you know, reflecting on the season, Lincoln said it on the radio broadcast, nothing to hang your heads about. This team did a good job. But, boy, people were apoplectic watching that game. People were mad. They were upset. <laughs> that, that whistle, that shouldn't have been a whistle, but they did call the whistle and they played on. Man, you know, the, they had some nice TVs at the end. I thought people were going to throw stuff and start breaking them. <laughs> but, I'm glad they didn't do that. Yeah, all in all, you know, it was a good season, but – I asked some Raider fans because I went to the M restaurant. I was just talking to people, you know, being a man of the people. Yeah. And I asked someone after the game, I was like, if I would have told you that this team is making the playoffs at the beginning of the season, what would, you, would you have believed it? And he was like, heck no. And then some of his other friends were like, man, what do you mean? And I was like, I'm <laughs> glad he's being honest. Right. Because this is a guy who thought at the beginning of the season that this isn't a playoff team, but he's there at the M celebrating a playoff game at least. And that's something that a lot of other teams weren't able to do. And of all the teams, the Raiders had probably the closest game of any team in the wild card weekend. You know there were some teams getting blown out. I'm glad you said that because I saw a lot of people on Twitter saying, you know how the playoffs have been extended to seven teams in each conference, and I saw a lot of people say, you know what, we don't need to have 14 teams in the playoffs. We don't. Look at these games. They stink. And a lot of these teams don't deserve to be here. I'll tell you what, the Raiders, not only did they work their way into the playoffs by winning, 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 and winning some more, they deserve to be there. If you think the Cincinnati is a legit team that can make a, a, a run, which I believe a lot of people do believe that, as they've been hyping them up for quite a while, the Raiders ran with them. The Raiders, in my opinion, were just as good of them, if not better. They just didn't execute. And, of course, ifs and buts, we all know how that goes. I mean, you've got to go and do that. But there was no, oh, this team is not in the same league as them. That was one of the best games of the weekend, and it was the first game of the weekend. I mean, man, the, I mean, the only other game that was close was the Cowboys and 49ers game, and I still don't know what the hell I saw at the end of that game. And, I don't, and I'm, not I'm not complaining about the officiating. I'm not. Let's not get it twisted. I don't come on the show and complain about the officials. I, I will talk about the whistle, and, and that was a sham. That should have been re replayed, no doubt, but that's not the reason the Raiders lost. So I'm not going to go and say, oh, the, the reason the Cowboys lost was because of the officials. I'll say the reason the Cowboys lost is because the Cowboys. What in the hell did they do? And how arrogant were they to think that they had 14 seconds from the 41-yard line, they were going to run the ball off the gut, think that they were going to get the ball set, and think they were going to get another playoff in time that they had an opportunity to, to score a touchdown and try to win that game. CQ, this goes back to my point about all these boy these boy wonder coordinators. They get too smart for themselves. Too Kellen cute. Moore, yeah, uh, got too cute. I'm yeah. going to run it up the middle. And Dak Prescott didn't get down enough. The line judge, hey, man, you can't rely on a 60-year-old man to run that fast to get the ball placed in time. So well, he you know gave what? it to they the wrong guy. He exactly. gave it to the wrong guy. Should have gave it to the official, not his center, who, by the way, didn't even put it in the right spot. He didn't even set, he didn't even set it in the right spot. And if you notice, the whole – offensive line had to back up a step after the official actually got it spotted. 
You can't hand the ball to your center and, and tell him to place it. You don't do that. You have to give the ball to – that's why you see wide receivers run the ball feverishly over to the officials and let them set it. You can't – I mean, it's, it's, it, it goes back to coaching. You know, and like you said about the, the, the hot shot boy wonders, the young coaches that are the up-and-comers, Kellen Moore got way too cute for himself, but Mike McCarthy's not a very good head coach either. I said it when we made our picks. I said, hey, I, the Cowboys and Niners game, I'm picking the Niners because I don't trust the guy on the sideline for, for Dallas, and that's Mike McCarthy. And, well, there you go. <laughs> so there's that. You know, He's but, giving Andy Reid a run for his money on some of the worst clock management decisions ever. Yeah, but Andy Reid's got something that Mike McCarthy don't. <laughs> Andy Reid's still playing, you know, and Mike McCarthy, Mike McCarthy lied. I mean, as a guy that covered the Cowboys when I was in Texas, Mike McCarthy lied to even get the job from Jerry Jones. He said that he studied every single play of the Cowboys season the year before while he was out of football. And then after he got hired, he was asked about that. And they said, well, what did you learn from him? He said, oh, I didn't really do that. I just said that to get the job. Like he admitted it in the press conference. Oh, I just, I just said that to get, get the job. I didn't really look at all the plays. That should have been, been the red flag right there. That's like if the job hired me and they said, okay, Q, well, what are you going to do for your radio show? Oh, I don't plan on doing a radio show. I just, I just told you I could do one just to get the job. <laughs> okay, you're out of here, dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and who didn't do the due diligence to see if he really, you know, if he actually knew what he was talking about? Wild stuff, man, wild stuff. 2.27 is the time. When we come back, we'll be joined by Mo Moten. He does a fantastic job covering the NFL and the Raiders for Bleacher Report, also Silver and Black tonight. He's got a lot of irons in the fire, but he does a great job at all of it. He'll join the show. We are at the Oyo Hotel and Casino, the Underground Lounge. Monday Night Football is going to be on these TVs in a matter of a few hours, and we're doing it with Raider Nation Radio 920. What does it mean to be a Raider? What To you, what does it mean to be a Raider? Man, being a Raider is not just being a football player. It's not about the just the jersey or just the just the helmet. It's about a lifestyle. It's about it's about loyalty. It's about doing whatever you have to do to help your brothers, to help your family. That's what it's all about. It's never putting yourself above the shield. That's what being a Raider is all about. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy Q. Just added to the lineup for today's show. Coming up at 4 o'clock, we'll have Mike Sando from The Athletic. He did a piece that's really good. He did a, a poll where he was seen out of all the jobs that are open or potentially open across the NFL, both head coach and GMs, where they rank. It was a really good piece he put out on The Athletic. I reached out to him earlier, but just heard back from him. So he's going to join us at 4 and then Vinny Bonsignor will close us out probably about 4.30. So we have a star-studded affair for today's show, including our next guest that I'm very excited to talk to. Don't get to talk to him all the time because he's a very busy man, but Mo Moten does a fantastic job for Bleacher Report, does a fantastic job for Silver and Black Today, does a fantastic job writing, podcasting. I mean, Mo, I feel like I'm one of the busiest dudes in the business, <laughs> but I feel like you're giving me a run for my money, and I always got to stay a couple steps ahead of you. But, man, you are if you're not catching me, you might already have passed me. How you doing, man? Hey, man, how's it going? We're in contention for that busy man title. <laughs> a lot of people say the same thing about you, what they say about me, but now we're here together, so this is a, a unique experience to have on the radio show after the radio season's over, so... Good to have good to be on with you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's great to hear from you, no doubt about it. And we all know that the Raiders season came to an end on Saturday. They lost to the Cincinnati Bengals in one of the better games of the weekend, to be 100% honest with you. Uh, just when you kind of sit back and reflect on this season, the fact that they won 10 games, the fact that they went to the playoffs for the first time since 2016, what, I mean, what are your initial thoughts? 
I had to sit back and just digest everything that happened, you know, from the Gruden email fiasco to Henry Ruggs' unfortunate incident, uh, just to the, the injuries, the losing streaks, the winning streaks. And the way I sum it up is, is they exceeded the expectations. And by what I mean by that is saying a lot of – we had a lot of people on our show, me and Scott Branson, and, and no one picked them to go to the playoffs. No one even picked them to go 500, over 500. I had a lot of people say six wins, four wins, five wins. I said eight wins. Scott said nine. I don't know where you were, but I've heard you were cautiously optimistic. Yeah. I would say they exceeded expectations. So I would say the season is a success because to me, a success is winning the Super Bowl. But they definitely, definitely exceeded expectations. And I think that deserves praises in itself. Yeah, and, and look, I was optimistic. I thought that they were a team that could win nine, ten games, but I'll be 100% honest with you. That was before all the issues. That was before <laughs> Gruden. That was before Ruggs, and that was before the losing five out of six games. I thought, okay, mm-hmm. after that second Kansas City loss, I was like, all right, they're done. You know what I mean? Like, right. there's no chance that they're going to be able to salvage this thing and turn this thing around, but yet here they were, and Rich Passaccia was able to get them to the, uh, to the postseason for the first time since 2016, which I thought was a heck of a job. So when you just look at, at, at the job that he did, what do you think was the key to his success? How do you think he was able to bring those guys together like he did? I think he learned on the job. I think he already had the human element to it. We heard about him handwriting notes to his players, and a lot of players have said he, you know, he's the guy that cares about the person first. I think he spoke about that in today's presser. So he already had that as far as connecting humanly with the players. I think what I think was the major key was that he learned on the job. Because he had a criticism. I remember he kicked the field goal before halftime down 35-0, I believe, to the Kansas City Chiefs. A lot of people criticized him for that and said, oh, he's too conservative. This is why we need a real head coach. Masashi is not the guy for the job. And as time went on, you saw the Raiders pull out fake punts and go for it on fourth down and actually convert on those. So I think that made a huge difference in the Raiders' season. They're able to go for it and confidently convert those fourth down conversions, third down conversions, fake, catch teams off guard. So I think him learning on the job really helped that team. Yeah, no, I think you're right. You know, and I think you could see him get better and more comfortable as time mm-hmm. went along. And, you know, it just obviously it's remained to see what's going to happen. And I don't like to speculate and say this is going to happen, this is going to happen, because, I mean, we <laughs> just don't know. We've heard some names roll out already. But, again, it's so early in the process. No, I, I do know the red zone offense wasn't very good, and it reared its ugly head again on Sunday or Saturday. One out of five in the red zone. You're not going to win a lot of games, especially in the playoffs. I know this is the question that's been a million-dollar question. We've asked it a thousand times, multiple years, not just this year. How do they go about fixing the red zone offense? What has to happen? I think they have to run the ball a lot better once they're in the red zone. Josh Jacobs is actually rolling that game against the Cincinnati Bengals. I believe yeah. he was over six yards per carry. And I, and I know a lot of people are going to criticize Carr, but a lot of times you see teams get inside the 20, they usually have an effective run game to close it out. And it, it seems like the Raiders were going away from the run game inside the red zone. They were putting the ball in Carr's hands. And, you know, you just got War back for this, uh, his second game. You got Hunter Renfro out there, but you don't have that dominant number one wide receiver, that go-to guy out there. So if War was covered, if Henry, if Henry Renfro doesn't have an open opening, uh, there's a problem there. You got to run the ball. Got to be effective inside, inside the 20s, inside the 10 with Josh Jacobs, especially with him rolling inside, inside that, uh, on the field. So I think they missed on that. That goes to play calling. That goes to Greg Olson. He's got to be able to run the ball effectively. The next coach coming in, I don't know. He has to have a sparkling resume when it comes to red zone offense. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, I really would. And I feel like, Mo, and, and this is something that I'd love to hear from you, 
I feel like with the pieces that they have, they have a lot of good quality pieces to build on. Now, every team, no team has ever done building their roster. I mean, every team is always looking to improve. But for the most part, I feel like they have a nice, good foundation of guys that they can build around. Is that Are, are you seeing the same thing, or am I just out of my mind? No, I'm seeing the same thing. You got Waller there. I think Derek Carr is an attractive piece. I know he's a polarizing figure, but if you're a head coach and you're looking for an established quarterback, because a lot of, a lot of head coaching success is attached to the quarterback, you got you got a top 10, 12 quarterback in Derek Carr there already. So that's the foundational piece. I just mentioned Henry Waller, uh, uh, Darren Waller. But on the defensive side, you got a pass rush now. I know Yannick Ngakwe didn't show up against the Bengals, but between him and Max Crosby, are, are they the best uh, pass rushing duo in the AFC West? I, I think so. So you have pieces there. Maybe you bring back, you probably should bring back Casey Hayward. He's pretty much a shutdown cornerback corner this season. Uh, what do you do with the linebacker core is a big question because Corey Lillard has been a disappointment. I think you got to rebuild there. And you got guys in the middle of that defensive line. You've got to resign or think about bringing back. So they have to rebuild certain parts, but I think they have some foundational pieces there. No doubt about it. We're talking right now with Mo Moten from Bleacher Report, Silver and Black tonight, Silver and Black today. I mean, just a little bit of everything. Mo's got his fingers on, and he'll tell us all about that in just a little bit. I did want to ask you, because Schefter and, and Ian Rappaport are already kind of busy putting some some news and notes out about potential guys, and they're talking about the Raiders have uh, asked for permission to interview Gerard Mayo from the Patriots, and also player personnel uh, director uh, Dave Ziegler as well. Mm-hmm. So as far as... I'm trying to think how to how to word it where it's perfect uh, because, again, I'm trying to not speculate or anything. But as far as these guys talking uh, uh, to these different potential head coaches and potential GMs, uh, whatever direction they should go, how quickly do you think that they need to come to a decision on, on what they're going to do moving forward with any of the positions? I think it has to come quickly only because as time passes, candidates are going to come off the board. And I said this with them already going to the playoffs that they, you know, they may lose some ground with some candidates who may be interested in other decisions or make decisions on their own. So I think it should be pretty swift because you don't want to hold up the process of the offseason. I know Bisaccia said, you know, there's a two-week period where coaches and personnel are off. But I think the Raiders have to move pretty quickly because you had eight openings in total. Right. The teams are going to be shaking and moving uh, for the next few weeks. And the Raiders, have, again, they have to make a move so that they know what, what direction they're going in. And I think that's, that's very important. You mentioned Gerard Mayo, head coach, David, for, for the gym job. I think I, – I know you don't like to speculate, but I'll do that for you. I, I just don't think Mayock and Basachi are back next year. I, I think they're opening – I think, obviously, Mark Davis is opening up his options, but I think he's opening up his options because he wants to pair a good head coach and GM together. Right. No, I mean, and that's and that's how a lot of people do it. A lot of teams do it. A lot of organizations, they want to do that. And so, again, it's going to be really uh, interesting to see how all this shakes out. Uh, as far as some guys that are on the squad that you know, and we talked about building blocks, what did you think of, of the job that Max Crosby on defense did and then Hunter Renfro on offense did this year? I think those are your two standard candidates. And if you're Mike Mack, you point at those two guys and say, I, I may have whiffed on a lot of early round picks, but look at what I did with the late rounds. Max Crosby, you know, fourth-round pick, now a Pro Bowl player, uh, second-team All-Pro, I believe. Hunter Renfro stepping up, as we mentioned, losing Henry Ruggs. We're waving him during the season. Darren Waller being hurt down the stretch. He really stepped up, and I, I don't want to call him a de facto number one wide receiver, but when he needed to step up and, and play big, he did. Their car leaned on him a lot. So those two guys, I think, are, are, are cornerstones in your roster, and I think eventually they're going to get extension. So look at those two guys and say, wow, they, they really – stepped their game up this year you know and I'm glad you mentioned extensions because that's what I wanted to ask you about next both guys are late round guys so they only have four-year deals they're both going to go into the offseason 
in the, going into their final year of their, their deals. Do you think one gets extended this offseason? Do you think both gets extended this offseason? What do you think the Raiders should do in that situation? I think Max Crosby gets extended only because the premium position of the edge rusher, you, you value those. I, I know Hunter Info is very valuable, but at the end of the day, I think the Raiders going to go out and they're going to add a wide receiver or two, and he'll probably be the number three guy again. He'll, he'll probably go back to his slot receiver position. So I think Max Crosby, when it comes to priority, I think Max Crosby is a little high is a little higher than uh, Hunter Renfro in the pecking order. But it all comes after what they do with Derek Carr. I know you didn't mention him, but right. the first thing they have to understand is what are we going to do with Derek Carr? Are we going to extend him or trade him? Because I think those are the only two options. I, I know I caused a stir on Twitter earlier today saying that he's not going to play on the, his current deal. He's not going to play out the final year of his contract because he has no financial protection, no guaranteed money. So if he goes out there in week one, week two, and tears up his knee, he has no financial parachute. So he, his agent is not going to let him go out there and play on this current deal without any guaranteed money. And if the Raiders don't give him what he wants, then I can see a trade happen. Yeah, and you know, and I think that a lot of the conversation around Carr, and really probably why I haven't talked about it a whole lot, is going to be based on who the head man is and who the GM is and what, you know what I mean, like what they want. I, I would think that those, all those three pieces kind of all go together. Is that, is that kind of your feeling as well? Yeah, but you know, it's kind of weird. I think it, it feels like, Mark Davis is putting the head coaching wagon before the GM. So it feels like if he if, – let's say he hires a rock star head coach. I'll just throw a name out there, John uh, Jim Harbaugh. Okay. He hires Harbaugh. I think Harbaugh, being the rock star that he is, he's going to want to pair himself with the GM of his choosing. Now, if you get a less experienced head coach, one of those one of these new kids on the block, or you get a, or you get a head coach who maybe didn't have success in his first day, like a Todd Bowles, that head coach may be more willing to work with McMath if that's what Mark Davis wants. Now, right. again, if he goes out and gets a rock star, then that rock star is going to want someone he's comfortable with. Right. No, I mean, that it makes sense, and that's why, you know, I haven't really opened up that can of worms because it, it, it's all – I feel like it's a domino effect. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. it's just like one, one domino is going to fall, will lead to another one, which will lead to another one. Well, Mo, we'll wrap this up with this. What did you learn about the Raiders this season that you may not have known? I'll say this, and I know a lot of people may have thought they were the same team from years past. This is not the same football team. I, I, as you said, after they went 6-7, and seven, I kind of wrote them up. It's like, yep, same team from 2019, same team for 2020. They just don't have the pieces. They don't have the firepower. They don't have the defense to get over the hump. But I've changed my mind on that to seeing what they did with, the, with, with all the cast that they've gone through, with all the turmoil. I think, as we just spoke about, I think they have the pieces next year to compete and get back in the playoffs. And I think that's something that we wouldn't have said about this team back in week 10, 11, or 12. So I think this team does not, this team does not need to tear down. Whoever is the head coach or GM, I hope they don't tear it down because, as we just talked about, they have the foundational pieces to get back to the playoffs and compete for a title. You know, that's the biggest key right there, Mo. I don't think that this is one of those situations. This is one of those, if you're going to build it, build it, continue building it up. Don't break mm -hmm. it down to build it up. This, there is no reason at all, you know, and I, like I said, I'm trying to be very respectful to everybody involved. There is no reason at all to break this thing down. If they do that, that's almost criminal. Yeah, absolutely. You go to the playoffs, and after everything that's happened, you have a quarterback. You have a, I know the defense isn't perfect, but it's pretty solid when you need it to be. I just don't think you just start selling off pieces and start from square one. I think you right. need to build off of what you have and keep it going. Yeah, I agree 100%. I'm glad you said that. That's like a mic drop moment right there. And that's why we have you on, Mo, because, well, you, br you bring the heat like you always do. And as I mentioned at the top, man, you got so much going on. You got your so many irons and different fires, but I appreciate that. What all do you have coming up? I know Silver and Black today and tonight. You guys are doing a fantastic job on multiple airways. What do you all have coming up? 
Silver Black tonight, we're going to wrap up the season and just talk about it in its totality. Me and Scott Branson just put a bow on what we saw and what we expected and what was, what was the outcome and what can we look at going forward. We're going to talk mostly about, obviously, Derek Carr, head coach of candidates, GM candidates, so that's going to be a big topic. But I also have a piece coming out on Bleacher Report, uh, dipping my toe into the draft. We're going to get a little draft talk started since the college season is over, the race season is over. We can kind of get into what can the Raiders do to improve their roster and, as we said, just build on a playoff roster. Number 22 overall. That's what the Raiders will be picking in the first round here in Las Vegas. I know it's only January 17th, but if I if I if you had to make the selection today, who are you picking, or what what position are you at least looking at? Oh man, I'm looking at right tackle. Okay, only because yep. I, I I have the philosophy that I think you give outside the world another full year at right guard. Remember, he had to change positions in the middle of the season. That's tough for a rookie. I think you give him another year at right guard to see what he can do, but you've got to upgrade that right tackle position because the offensive line penalty is one of the things that bit the Raiders in that playoff game against, against the Cincinnati Bengals. So you look at a right tackle. If, if, you, if you feel good about a wide receiver, I can see them going that way because they need a guy there. Jahan Dotson is a guy I'm looking at at Penn State. So wide receiver, right tackle, I'm, I'm stuck between those two right now. There it is right there. And, again, it's only January 17th, so we'll have plenty of time to talk about the draft. We'll have plenty of time to talk about free agency and everything else that goes along with all of that. But, Mo, fantastic stuff as always. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes out of your busy day to uh, share the airwaves with me. I appreciate you as always. And you and Scott keep kicking ass, man. I appreciate it. All right, man. You keep rocking over here on Red Nation Radio. Remember, anytime you need me, just hit my line. I know I'm busy, but always – you got to shoot your shot. Shoot or shoot, Q. Hey, you already know you're guaranteed to miss a shot you don't take, and I ain't missing. <laughs> appreciate you, man. Appreciate you. All right, brother. Appreciate you. Yeah, I'm going to get my light skin brother on. I'm going to get my Steph Curry on every time. I'm firing, firing. I'm firing some more. One of them is guaranteed to drop. You know what I mean? So uh, many thanks right there to Mo Moten for joining us. He does a fantastic job. You can follow him on Twitter, at Mo Moten. And, uh, again, man, from Bleacher Report, the Silver and Black Tonight, Silver and Black Today, uh, on many different airwaves. I mean, they're, they're just doing a, a heck of a job continuing to give you great Raider content and the rest of the NFL content as well. 2.45 is the time. We're here at the Underground Lounge inside the Oyo Hotel and Casino. We're rocking with you all the way up till 5 o'clock. That's right, baby. I'm always begging for extra airtime. Well, today we're going to get it. Monday Night Football is going to be on these TVs, and all we need is you. Come on by, hang out with us with Raider Nation Radio 920. Give me your best. Hey, Raider Nation, this is Hall of Famer Marcus Allen, and you're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920. <laughs> hey, Raider, hey Raider Nation, this is Marcus Allen. You listen to Radio Station 920. Say Raider Nation Radio 920. Raider Nation Radio Station 920. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I'm gonna have to kick you, you know what, today. Here's your boy Q. We are here at the Underground Lounge inside the Oyo Hotel and Casino. It's our usual Monday night spot. Monday Night Football, the Cardinals and Rams will finish off Super Wild Card Weekend tonight. Got my man Mark is already in the building. He's at the bar having some drinks and having some food. I Am Vice is in the building. Shout out to I Am Vice. The wife and daughter have made it in here to check up on me, make sure I'm staying on task and not being the loudest guy in the room. Good luck with that. But uh, we are here and we're having a good time and we'll be with you up until 5 o'clock, that's how long the show will go, but then we'll be a little bit longer watching the game as well. So we encourage you to come on by and say what up. Ed Graney scheduled to join us at 3 o'clock today, but we're going to actually push him till tomorrow. He's uh, taking care of his wife. Uh, I guess she had some kind of dental 
procedure. So we're going to push Ed till tomorrow, but that's okay because we have a star-studded lineup of people that we're going to get to. So uh, no worries. We'll talk to Ed along with Jim Plunkett and John McClain all coming up on Tuesday's show. Uh, but I did throw the question out there onto the Salmon Ash text line at 69187, keyword R&R, and also the Radio Nation listener line, 702-365-9200. Now that the season's officially over, what are your thoughts on what the Raiders were able to do? Ten wins, a playoff berth, a loss to Cincinnati, but still a playoff berth for the first time since 2016. What are your thoughts on what they did, and what did you learn about the team? Another question I had, one answer only. Who, in your opinion, is this year's MVP for the team and why? One answer. Not one guy on special teams, one guy on offense, one guy on defense, one coach. Not, I don't know. Narrow it down. You've got one shot. That's all we need. 702-365-9200. Let's go out to the phone lines and talk to our guy. Shields up. What's up, my man? How you doing? What's up, Q? How we doing, man? And I'm blessed. How are you? Good, man. Yeah, I just want to say it's shields up, chins up, heads up. Raider Nation, be proud of what we did. And um, the future, the future looks bright. Um, my little comment um, or my statement about Basasha is this, is that my prediction before this season, everybody talks about the record and playoffs and blah, blah, blah was double-digit wins in playoffs. Yeah. So as a fan, that goal was met through all the nonsense that went on. So as far as I'm concerned, Biasia should get a shot. Okay. And um, your question again, oh, I'm sorry, what was your question? Uh, now that the season's over, what are your thoughts on what the Raiders did winning 10 games? You pretty much uh, you know, summed it up already in a playoff berth. And then who is this year's MVP and why? Just one person. Yep, Denzel Perryman, Q, without okay. question. The defense, to me, was more consistent throughout, through the whole season than the offense. Yeah. And Agreed. Denzel Perryman led that defense, and he fought Gladiator, Hurt, and everything else. And, um, and that's my comments, man. And uh, Raider Nation, be proud. I'm proud. And uh, the future's bright. Thank you for taking my call, Q. Thank you, my man. I do appreciate you. I like that. Denzel Perryman, man. And that's guy – on the defensive side of the ball. And I'll tell you right now, if I had to pick an MVP, if the if the if it was on me, I'd pick someone from defense as well. Just because I'm like Shields up, I believe the defense was more consistent throughout the course of the year. I think the defense allowed the Raiders to stay around and hang around in games. In these games that they came back and won at the last second on a Daniel Carlson field goal, you don't have these opportunities if the defense ain't worth the salt and they're stopping people. If they're not worth the salt, it's a runaway. It's a blow. It's Kansas City times six. You know what I mean? I mean, that's, that's just the reality of it. And Raider Nation, we're used to it, right? How often are we used to seeing the defense getting thrashed and humiliated and throttled and beat down? And what do we do? We sit in our, our couch and we watch the game. We say, damn it, if we only had, if we only had, if we only had. Well, guess what? The Raiders had this year. The Raiders had this year. They had that defense that could keep them in games. And more times than not, and this is why, and I don't know how you felt, Raider Nation. You can respond to that as well. I don't know how you felt with 151 left in the game and Derek Carr had the ball in his hands. I just knew that the game was going to get tied. I was very confident. I was at the end resort, and I told anyone who would listen, oh, this game's about to be tied. Derek Carr is going to lead him down the field and get into the end zone. I had all the confidence in the world because he's done it so many times. Because the team has allowed, the defense has allowed the team to hang around so many times that I'm used to, him making that comeback and the team making that comeback and finding a way in overtime. And if they got it into overtime, I was willing to double down that they were going to win because that's what they do. They get to overtime and they win. And I bet you if you asked everyone on that sideline that was there in Cincinnati, 
probably on both sides of the ball, that they will tell you they had confidence that Derek Carr was going to get down there and score as well. Obviously, he came up a few yards short. We can, you know, kind of diagnose and break down and look at the way that that last play shook out and that last series shook out. Clocking the ball on first down, probably wouldn't have done it. <laughs> probably should have took a shot in the end zone. I don't think that the last game play of the game, I would have thrown it short to Zay Jones where you got to get in the end zone. I probably would have gone, and this is just how I feel in general, if you have that clutch moment where you've got you've to win or die, I want to win or die with my, with my best players, my best players. So if I'm, if I'm D.C. and it's fourth down, fourth and goal, I'm probably looking for Waller or Renfro, just me. You know what I mean? Just me. I'm looking for one of those two guys. It's like Michael Jordan or Steph Curry shooting the final shot of the, of the game. If you, if you get a good look from one of those two guys and they miss, well, you tip your cap and say, okay, no problem. But, you know, if you're, if you're the Warriors and you give the ball to, like, Andre Iguodala at the last shot, probably not the best idea. Not that he's not a good player, but probably not the best option. I want to go down with my sharpshooters. I want to go down with my money. That would probably be the only criticism I had for that final drive. But I, I just knew. I knew to a T that they were, they were scoring and that that game was going to be an overtime game. That's how I've been trained. <laughs> I've been trained to just watch this team throughout the course of the year because that's what they do. Fabian sent us a text on the Salmon Ash text line at 69187. Unnecessary roughness. Q and DeMond. MVP, Hunter Renfro. Again, that's from Fabian. And Hunter Renfro did some amazing things this season. Hunter Renfro went from being a possession receiver to a guy that can get all the balls catching everything and making things happen. Hunter Renfro made him some money this year, didn't he? Hunter Men and it's not all about money, don't get me wrong, but Hunter Renfro made some money this season. One more, one more text, we'll take a break. From East Bay Raider Gray, Q, we did lose that game. Too many self-inflicted wounds, but why are we the only game this weekend that has a huge controversial call that greatly impacted a closely contended playoff game at which points are hard to come by? Still very proud of this team. We had a winning season, got to the playoffs. Let's retool, not rebuild. What was built got us to the playoffs. Now take the next step. Again, that's East Bay Raider Gray. And he said, NFL can kiss my grits. Go Raiders. And real quick with the controversial call, there's no telling if the Bengals would have scored on the next play, if they had replayed that or not, or if the Raiders, who held them to two out of five times in the red zone, they only scored touchdowns twice. Out of five trips to the red zone, the Raiders only scored a touchdown once. They could have very easily held him to a field goal. Obviously, we'll never know. And I don't come on the show and complain about referees. You know that. I don't. I don't ever blame referees for a loss, and I won't blame them for this loss. But by the letter of the law, once the whistle is blown, regardless of how it got blown, the play is supposed to be stopped and do over. Simple. I mean, it's not. It's, it's just like running the red light. If you run it, it's wrong. <laughs> I mean, there's no gray area. It's either red or it's not. Once the whistle blows, it's a red light. The NFL allowed them to, to run that red light, and that was incorrect. 2.58 is the time. When we come back, we'll kick off hour number two of the show live from the Underground Lounge. This is Raider Nation Radio 920.